right, so it just hit me before we hit record on this episode, the 13th, 14th, something like that of Pat's Interference, that this is going to be the first time we talk actual football on the podcast because training camp is underway, baby. Football is back in Foxborough. There have been thousands upon thousands of fans pouring in. Yours truly among 30 to 40, maybe 50 beat members are down at practice taking notes every single day. Very exciting time. Also exciting on today's episode because we are debuting a new format. And that format, put very simply, is Andrew drinks alone and talks into a microphone, which we're going to do here, or I'm going to do here, for about 15 to 20 minutes as we cover what we've learned through the first four training camp practices. Because first of all, we're recording here on uh, Saturday night, the 30th. The players are off tomorrow, which means I'm off tomorrow, save for making a couple calls to people inside the team and take their temperature of what they've seen. So let's enjoy. All right. I'm going to go out and have some more beers after this. You should too or at least on Sunday night or sometime later on the week, whenever you listen to this. Now, before we get to that, I need to make something utterly clear. We have a few qualifiers for everything I'm going to talk about with training camp, which are not things that you know we've learned definitively, but I'm going to rank my observations from things that I'm most certain of down to things I kind of think I think at this stage. And the reasons for that are things that you might want to say in the comments for an episode entitled What We've Learned So Far From Training Camp. Let's eat our vegetables because here are the qualifiers. Yes, it's only been four practices. I am very aware that you cannot learn anything about football from four practices, let alone when they are number two, not padded. The Patriots have only worn shoulder pads Friday and Saturday for the first time. No pads down below the belt. There is no contact. This is not real football. They're practicing concepts and running plays and competing one-on-one. This is not football as we'll see it on Sundays. Number three, this past week was, as Bill Belichick told us on Tuesday, really a continuation of minicamp, which is an educational camp where they're installing a lot of new plays. There's not a ton of evaluation. You're putting in parts of the playbook, which you've been listening to this pod or hearing me on places like WEI. The Patriots are still writing, at least offensively, to kind of get their new system in. So there's no reason to evaluate on the media side or the fan side. Let's just pump the brakes. I think generally it's a bad idea to put a ton of weight into one particular week of training camp. But if you're going to pick one, don't make it the one that's in July. Wait until, I don't know, late August when a year ago, Mac Jones lit up the Giants in joint practices and won the starting job. So let's wait there. Now, no more waiting. Those are the qualifiers. We all get that none of this is definitive. But number one with a bullet on my list of seven observations of things that I'm pretty sure of after watching the Patriots practice, the Patriots rookies and second-year players will take this team as far as it can go this season. And there's one main reason for that, first step. Primarily, Mac Jones is a second-year player, okay? And, of course, he plays quarterback. So he's going to be the engine of this team, the lifeblood of this team. We've heard all the things in the offseason, even from Belichick himself, about the way that he's improved and taking command and ownership of an offense. That's not only new, but has new players in it, like Devontae Parker. But when you look elsewhere on the roster at their areas of need, let's just go back to when we were talking about this around the draft, you know, wide receiver, offensive line, corner and linebacker, all of those positions have players that are going to need to contribute for this team to find its potential. And in some cases start Cole strange, first round rookie starting on the offensive line at left guard. Wide receiver, Tyquan Thornton, he brings a dynamic that unless Nelson Aguilar wants to break out for another career year, and I don't think that's going to happen, he's going to have to take the top off the defense. He's your second round pick. Third and fourth round picks, Marcus Jones and Jack Jones, they're having very strong camps here so far. But 
Marcus Jones is 5'8", and Jack Jones is 175 pounds. Players that are that short or that light, we need to see come on and play with the pads on. So it's been good so far, but I think at those positions, which are very key to begin with, corner, receiver, and quarterback, that's as far as they're going to go. We talk about linebacker. You know, Cameron McGrone and Ronnie Perkins have been a little slow here through the first four practices, relegated almost exclusively to scout team. So you don't count on them to contribute a linebacker. But if and when there's going to be an injury, they need to be able to step up. And that's what I'm talking about. The, the Patriots, and I talked about this last week with Mike Giardi, you know, admitted in free agency in 2021 that they had screwed up for four or five years in the draft. They splurge in free agency, set records, bring in all these veterans to replace the holes that were created by those bad drafts. Since then, they are now betting on themselves with this roster construction that they can do it through the draft. 2021, I think, was a success. 2022 is a real question mark. And I think that is why you're going to see the rookies and the second-year players, not because of the positions that they play, but the fact that they're going to have an opportunity to carry this team as far as they go, starting with, of course, Mac Jones. All right, the second thing I am most confident about after watching the Patriots practice four times, this is Bill Belichick's offense. And this is the one that I think surprises me the most. You know, if you were to ask me what might be on this list at the start of camp or even Tuesday, again, when he first spoke to us, because the whole conversation, even on this podcast, centered around Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. And you can go back through their histories and the people that they hired and the type of offense they might want to run and how they will utilize that with players they're familiar with or any schemes that they coached in previously. But in reality, this is still Bill Belichick's show. And what we've seen, what we know actually definitively from this week alone is that Bill Belichick, quote, laid out a vision for the offense, the new revised updated offense, according to Mac Jones. We know that Bill Belichick has called plays for at least one 11 on 11 period as he did on day three on Friday's practice. We know that he has been working almost exclusively with the quarterbacks and wide receivers in the first, you know, 20, 25 minutes of all these practices. And we know that he's presented in meeting rooms. So any changes about the system, what Matt Patricia wants to bring or what Joe judge wants to implement has to go through the boss which I think the easiest way to view the offense and the, the whole structure with the offensive coaching staff at this, at this stage is going to be, let's think about what the defensive side looked like after Matt Patricia left, right? So 2018, he goes, Brian Flores is your de facto defense coordinator. He's the play caller, but Bill is laying out the vision, as Mac Jones said, defensively, it's his game plan. And then he hands the keys to Brian Flores on Wednesday when they start practicing and says, okay, Go coach him up. And that's what Brian Flores did. He did it and he called plays on Sundays, 2019. Those keys go from Brian Flores to Steve Belichick and Gerard Mayo. You know, Bill takes him back there briefly, the early 2019 season. We've covered this, but they've really taken it since there. I think there's a strong possibility that that's what Belichick does. And whatever the offense is called, and he's not named an offensive coordinator and he's going to throw himself in front of any criticism to block for Patricia Judge, but this really is going to be his system. And it's really interesting to see what he chooses which there are limitations, right? He can't just draw up any sort of place he wants on the whiteboards. He's limited by the talents of his own roster. But what does Bill Belichick, defensive genius, best coach of all time, choose to run for an offense when allowed to create anything on the whiteboard? And he's not limited by whatever Josh McDaniels wants to do, which of course he was never limited, but he had so much trust that he just let Josh McDaniels run that side of the ball. It's not the case anymore. Bill Belichick so far in some way, shape, or form, and I think he'll pull back from this. But for now, that's his office. Number three, everybody take a sip. 
there is no number one receiver or even a go-to player yet on this offense. And let's run down some stats. So day one, Mac Jones lights it up. He's the story. He talks after practice. We're all writing the same things. Very crisp, very accurate, all good news. The second best player on that day might've been Kendrick Bourne. He was four for four on targets and team drills. Great. Okay. What did, what did Kendrick Bourne do on day two? He caught one pass and he had two targets. Okay. Well, what else happened on day two? Tyquan Thornton, who we just talked about second round rookie taking the top off the defense on day two, he caught all four of his passes. He did what Bourne did four, four on targets in team drills. What has Tyquan Thornton done since? Well, I'll tell you in team drills, he's had one catch, one combined catch over Friday and Saturday. On Friday, what else happened? We're writing the John Smith revival story. He's back. He might live up to the contract. He's worked harder in the offseason. He's not thinking about the contract, but of course, he's a little bit because that's all that's in his DMs and his mentions. So he goes three for four. He has a play of the day, this big, you know, spinning catch over Kyle Duggar, just dunks all over poor Kyle Duggar. Today, Saturday, day four, Jonathan Smith has one catch and four targets. And a lot of bad luck was baked into that. Mac Jones overthrowing him. There's a pass breakup. There's whatever's going on. But you get the point. It's a different guy every single day. And again, you could chalk that up to randomness. It's only been four practices. But Devontae Parker is the only player here where you look and go, he has experience being a number one. And he's a guy who today, most of his catches came on scramble drills. So he's not getting open initially, even though he had three catches on team leading five targets in today's practice. It's just not happening. So as far as we know, Mac does not have appreciably better chemistry with any receiver or pass catcher for that matter, not even next door neighbor, Hunter Henry, who had a drop today, two of three. And the Patriots are just banking on their depth. This is true for the entire roster, again, from conversations that I've had where they kind of see football as a weak link system. You know, again, you kind of, you know, role reversal here, right? What is Bill Belichick going to build for an offense? Probably the things that gave him the most trouble. Well, when they're game planning for another team, you try to find the weak link in the opposing offense or defense, and you just relentlessly attack that weak link. Their position is if we have as few weak links as possible, we spread out our resources and our talent across the roster, it'll be more difficult to attack us in that way. Now, I think that's a way to raise your floor, of course, as a team, as an offense, as a defense, but it probably lowers your ceiling, which is why the Patriots are being pegged as kind of a 500 fringe playoff team. So agree or disagree with the approach. That's what's going on offensively. It's how they've always spent a wide receiver, never big in a number one. They're going to have a bunch of different options right now. They're all kind of number twos or number threes, which is what we expected coming into the season. Okay, number four um, from this past week, I'm pretty sure Demond Gonchow got overpaid. Good for him. Belichick called him one of the best defensive linemen in the league. I don't see it. There's not a whole lot of evidence to support that. He's better against the run. Um, but look, get the bag, man. Good for you. Number five, the future of the linebacker group, again, as we kind of descend in confidence here, I think more than I know or I'm confident is that it's going to be Juwan Bentley and Mac Wilson. And we've seen a lot of Juwan Bentley and Raekwon McMillan in these early down periods you know, and sometimes they've rotated Mac Wilson and Raekwon McMillan, you know, in seven on seven, where clearly it's a passing drill and you know that's coming to new guys who can who can play in space and man in its own. But I just think ultimately the, the team believes and the staff believes more specifically too much in Juwan Belly to give up on him. And that's where I think you're going to see him start at least first, second down and come off the field on third. But Mac Wilson is going to make strides here. And we see him as the lone linebacker in these kind of dime packages with six defensive backs and one linebacker. 
taking players up the seam in tight ends. He's quick with his, his zone awareness and he's being able to jump routes and, and help on there. And I think it's only going to get better. So again, this is something that I, I, I don't know for sure yet because Mac Wilson is the third linebacker and the fourth. You're looking at Chelani Tavaya at a very good practice today, but it's mostly due to a lack of confidence from what we've seen in Cameron McGrone, who second year player, fifth round pick out of Michigan, macro director of player personnel, de facto GM, whatever you want to call him, brings up McGrone. It's kind of this extra draft pick when we're talking to him after this past draft and Steve Belichick is typing him up. Everyone has these positive things to see with Cameron McGrone. Those same coaches are not putting him in with the starters and he's got to earn his way up there. He missed all of last season recovering from a torn ACL, except for a couple of weeks of practice where he apparently really impressed. Well, I don't know how much impressing he's done since then because he's on the back burner right now. We have a long, long way to go. But I think when you also look at the history of Bill Belichick linebackers, you know, Gerard Mayo is a real historical outlier in the way that he started from his rookie year specific to the inside, you know, Dante Hightower is bouncing from the inside of the outside as a rookie in 2012, but they trust their veterans there because of how instinctive they are relative to younger players and how they're able to make checks and calls and command and lead and just be more sound as, as opposed to a, a rookie who might be faster, but looser with his fundamentals who doesn't know the defense as well. I think they trust Bentley. I think they like Mac Wilson a lot and his skill set complements Bentley in a way that I think eventually the future of this position, at least for this season is going to be that combination of Juwan Bentley and Mac Wilson. Okay, number six, two left, and then we're going to get to the mailbag, and then we're going to get to more beers, speaking of which. Number six, the cornerback conversation, as it stands right now, is really Jalen Mills and everybody else. And Mark Daniels, the Providence Journal, did an awesome job illustrating this on this podcast about six weeks ago when we did seven bold predictions. And he talks about how Mills elevated his game in the second half and all these different coverage stats. And Mark does a really good job with that. I would say Mills looks a lot like that player here so far. And you could even go back to the first half of the season in week four, when they play the bucks and Belichick's game plan was, we're just going to play man the whole time. We're going to mix up our fronts and have different zone droppers in the middle. So Brady doesn't know where they're going to come from and we're not going to blitz him. But in the back end, we're going to be as predictable as possible because J.C. Jackson is shadowing Mike Evans. Jonathan Jones stayed with Antonio Brown and Jalen Mills stuck to Chris Godwin. And of all those three matchups in that week four matchup against the Bucs, Jalen Mills did the best. Three catches, 55 yards for a guy in Chris Godwin who has been getting the franchise tag and is regarded as one of the best receivers in the league. Now, that kind of assignment he's not going to get week in and week out. But what we've seen here so far is a guy who in team drills has been targeted eight times allowed four catches while having two pass breakups and an interception. So those numbers, you know, uh, kind of prorated over the course of an entire season or extrapolated or whatever, this is the beer kicking in it, are going to be very good for the Patriots. He's a very solid number two. And that's what they need because there's not a lot of certainty at that position. We talked about the rookies. They're going to carry them as far as they can go. Rookies are going to have the, the widest variance of a season or their performance week to week or over a few weeks of any other player on the roster. They're not known commodities yet. They can boom or they can bust. You're going to see that with a guy like Jack Jones or Marcus Jones. They need Mills to lock down one side of the field and just be able to figure it out on the opposite side. He's not going to lock it down in the sense of three catches and 55 yards, but he's been incredibly steady. He plays through the ball very well. He's very sound technically. And we've heard him talk in the past about the way the coaching staff has elevated his game where the biggest hole was really just getting beat deep. And remember, 
This is something I confirmed talking with people in the front office last year. They did not expect, of course, to have Jalen Mills at corner all last year. It was tied to Stephon Gilmore's holdout. But he impressed them beyond they ever imagined as the season went on. It felt very comfortable with Jalen Mills as the number two. And he was really the glue of that secondary where he felt great about J.C. Jackson. He felt good about Jonathan Jones. You got the safeties of McCordy and Duggar and Phillips. He was the wink link. We just talked about the weak link system. If you're an opponent of the Patriots, you were going after Jalen Mills. As Mark illustrated, teams did that and they didn't have a lot of success. So now he needs to be the same spot where the pressure's on him, not because he's the wink link, but he's the, the stronger piece. And if he can't hold up, then everything's kind of lost. So from a performance standpoint, he's lived up to what they need him to be as the kind of rocket that secondary as they figure out everything else around it. And so far he is. Those are good numbers. He's played well against different types of receivers from speed guys like Aguilar, Tyquan Thornton versus your bigger bodies like Devontae Parker. And the Patriots need that. They also need to figure out, uh, is it going to be Terrence Mitchell who started all four practices opposite Jalen Mills or Jack Jones or Malcolm Butler who, I almost had Malcolm Butler on this list. It's not time to worry just yet, but he looks 32 and he looks 32 after taking a year off from football so far. Number seven, this is a gut feeling because it's, I <laughs> evaluating special teams. Look, if you have any tips, throw them my way. I, it's just, I think they're going to be better this year. And it's just based on the fact that Jake Bailey is too talented to have another season that he had last year. He's booming punts again in practice that are hanging upwards of five seconds, sometimes even longer. That portends very well for this unit. You've got fresh blood in there. We're look, Brandon King, thank you for your service. Brandon Bolden, lifesaver on third down last year. Been a part of the special teams for a while. They kind of aged out. Now you've got fresh blood where Brendan Schooler is your everyone's hot pick for the undrafted rookie to make the roster. He's kind of repping and drilling with Cody Davis and Matthew Slater off on the side as if almost he's made the team. Like he doesn't need to participate in everything else. He just needs to do what he does best, cover kicks, cover punts, and work on that. And the Patriots are fine because that's how they're acting. Not that he's made the team, but that he can devote his time in a way that he'll be so good in that role that he doesn't need to work on anything else. And he's repped some of the defense, but you look at a Brendan Schooler, Anthony Jennings has been in on all four units, you know, third-year linebacker to Alabama. I think that portends well for his chances. There's just a new sense uh, of new fresh blood in there. They're going to be faster, I think, like the offense. Nick Folk is steady as ever. This is a, a special team that I think is really going to solidify after a year. Mac Wilson's also in on a lot of teams, Jelani, to buy the linebackers we mentioned before. I, I just think this team is going to be better. We're going to have to see. And the last note on them is, you know, this kind of goes for Belichick's entire tenure, right? The kick return position, aside from Cordero Patterson 2018, Bethel Johnson, if you really want to go deep cuts here, has never been that threatening. Marcus Jones, as one of the best all-time returners in college football history, his story could change all of that. We don't know. They don't know until the pads come on. But there are a lot of options back there that you're trying between him Trey Nixon, Kyle Duggar that excite you because those are guys that in space you want to see with the ball in their hands. I think it's another reason why you should be optimistic about the special teams, which not for nothing, they allowed three block punts last year. I don't think there was another team in the NFL that allowed more than one. So there is a starting point there, not to mention they went over three in those games allowing block punts. So it just in one sense can't get much worse. And I think you're going to have the right guys bounce back 
at punter and then your core guys are going to get refreshed and be much better so hey guys just a quick break to remind you that bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager in all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and line i know you've got a lot of different options out there but stick with betonline.ag you can find reviews and news of every league including major league baseball NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf with the futures. Bet Online continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in game betting, props, and futures. So head on to Bet Online today or use your phone or iPad or whatever you have just to join today and make your first bet with the promo code CLNS50. That's CLNS50 for a 50%, 50 whole percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online where the game starts. All right, those are seven observations, most confident down to least. Let's get to your mailbag. Let's get to the bar. Um, Colby on Twitter. Colby, Colby wants to know the most we've heard from Trey Nixon, just talking about him, was the punt catching competition yesterday. Has he cooled considerably since OTA? So Colby, Colby is talking about a competition at the end of Friday's practice where you know, we're all tweeting because, you know, you're generally banned from, from tweeting too much during practice. You can't give a play-by-play or stats. We just dump all this information at the end. The whole media tent is just head of their phone typing away. What happens on the field is Bill Belichick gets everyone together. He singles out Marcus Jones and Trey Nixon. Marcus Jones representing the defense, Trey Nixon representing the offense, and says, we're going to have a competition where you each are going to field punts, and every punt that you field, we're going to add another football onto you. So you're going to catch one punt, hold the football in your right hand, catch a second punt, hold one in your, your left hand. And then they started stuffing the third and fourth and fifth footballs as they keep building these punts inside their jerseys. So anyway, Trey Nixon was a part of that. It was a nice kind of fun thing to spruce up training camp, but Colby's right. That's the most we really heard from Trey Nixon. Now he was a guy that stood down mini camp for making these big, long, deep catches downfield that he and Mac Jones have worked a ton to the side. And they've got a really good relationship as guys who came in in the same rookie class and Ernie Adams got to pick him and all this and that. But, you know, he had four catches today, Saturday. But again, this is why you take the comprehensive notes. All of his catches were on these small, shallow crosses. And three of them were from Bailey Zappi. So Trey Nixon's problem isn't so much that he's not producing when he has a chance. He just doesn't have a ton of opportunity because he's six in the pecking order right now in a receiver depth chart. It's altogether is not that impressive. So I think he'll continue to get better opportunities if he performs, but yes, he's cooled off partly because he probably paid some of the best football of his career in those two days at minicamp. So it's to be expected, but still keep an eye on him because they're going to be open to anyone who can perform consistently at receiver considering the group that they have. Moving on to Dave on Twitter, uh, quote, it sounds like the offense is generally winning seven on sevens and losing 11 on 11s. Are you seeing something to explain that? Is there an offensive issue, offensive line issue or is it play calling? So zooming out seven on sevens and some players even told us this this week. And this is a very good question, Dave, that seven on sevens are kind of geared to make the offense look good. So part of this is just the seven on sevens are working as they're supposed to. And the 11 on 11s are more difficult because, as I mentioned at the outset, they're really focused, the Patriots are, on red zone work. And when you get into the red zone, there's less space to cover, which makes it easier on a defense that doesn't have to worry about Nelson Aguilar or Tyquan Thornton going deep downfield because they can't go more than 20 yards downfield if the offense is starting at the 10. So the 11 on 11, specifically in the red zone, kind of tilt towards the defense. And I think that's the most fundamental explanation for what you have not to mention, I mean, you can go back through my practice recaps last year or anyone else in the beat or any other team, you're going to have a headline somewhere that says defense dominates. Today, we just waited till day four because the early part of camp, 
for almost every team and definitely the Patriots, as I can tell you covering this team now in my fifth year, tilts towards the defense. It's just kind of inertia. Offense is so much about timing and rhythm and reps. And if you just can't get your timing right, the defense just has to stay in there and watch you screw up. The Patriots are not just standing there, but being early in camp and working in the red zone favors the defense. And when you get to seven on sevens, that favors the offense. When you have a full field, which is generally what they work with with the seven on sevens, that's all that that's about. It's nothing to do with play calling. There's no looking at a sheet and trying to pick an option. These are all very structured, listed, ordered plays to say, hey, how well do we run You know, a different snag concept? And then we'll go on to smash. And we'll go on to... Um, you know, I don't know, pick, pick, pick your concept. Like they're running down through all these and seeing how the defense reacts, mesh, whatever it might be. That's all that that is. Um, this is from, this is my burner on Twitter. Uh, quote, what do you think is happening with Pierre Strong? So Pierre Strong, fourth round rookie running back, South Dakota State, second fastest student in the roster as far as we can tell behind, behind Taekwon Thornton. Uh, we can't tell yet because he's just been relegated to a lower conditioning field. Like it, It's strange. Most of the guys that we see down there don't have a jersey on. They don't have a helmet, but they go down there because they're on the PUP list or NFI or whatever it might be. He always suits up Pierre Strong, and then he just kind of jogs on down there. So I think ultimately I wouldn't be too concerned. I, I've checked in on this. It's been radio silence. That's kind of how the Patriots handle injuries, and we'll see how things go as far as we get to the regular season. But I think they're just going to be very cautious with him and understanding that, you know, as much as you'd love to have Pierre Strong out there and you would love to have James White, it's not a bad thing if you're getting more reps from Andre Stevenson or J.J. Taylor. One, because Stevenson might be your number one back potentially by the end of the year or at least your third down back. And two, because J.J. Taylor is a fringe guy, you know, at least on the bubble, on the roster. So you can start to answer those questions while you let James – and Pierre Strong at 100%. I don't think it's terribly serious. If it was, you wouldn't see him like we have in a couple of the other draft picks, Andrew Stuber and Jason Hines. Last one, this is from Jake Hamilton on Twitter. Another really good question. It's a long one. Um, quote, as it stands today, would you say the team is in a better position now than it was last year? In 2021, we had McDaniels, uh, JC, JC Jackson, et cetera, but quarterback concerns. Now in 2022, we meaning, of course, the Patriots, have uh, no quarterback concerns, no J.C. Jackson, and no Josh McDaniels. Uh, Jake leans 2022, but he still has doubts about the coaching staff. First of all, again, I, I'm, I'm on the record saying I'm giving Matt Patricia and Joe Judge a clean slate. I will let them either dig their own graves or build their own skyscraper and then put a big billboard at the top that says Andrew Callahan was an idiot or anyone else who doubted us. We'll see what they choose and what they do. But as far as comparing where the team is, I think the, the knee-jerk reaction is to say they're in a worse place this year, right? Because they're projected to go 8-9 and nine or 9-8 nine and eight in a lot of places. And what did they do last year? They went 10-7. and seven. But Jake brings up a really good point because at this point last year, again, go through my own practice recaps, it was so much on Cam Newton versus Mac Jones. Mac Jones, who was a relative unknown, sure he's a first-round quarterback, he was also the fifth out of five taken in that first round. The whole league got to say with its own actions, we don't see him as good as Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. Of course, I've got to forget one. Um, or Trey Lance. So that's what he was dealing with. And what we saw from Cam Newton was eight touchdown passes and 12 interceptions the year before, 12 rushing. But that was a 7-9 team that got lucky to be 7-9. So the Patriots had a wide range of outcomes, some of which were very, very bad. This year, I think the range of outcomes has narrowed. So it kind of depends on your outlook, right? Like, Jake, you, you seem to feel better with that certainty where, okay, they might go 8-9 or 9-8, and eight, but they're not going to go 6-11, and 11, which honestly was maybe on the table last year, despite the influx 
of free agency. People forget they started one and three. Okay. This was not a great team, particularly when they also went then two and four with a close call winning into Texas. So that's a long way of trying to get away from <laughs> answering this question. Beer sip. And I just, I'm going to say this year in 2022, because partly not because of the range of outcomes thing that I just mentioned, but I think when you have a solid answer at quarterback, and I think whatever you thought of Cam Newton a year ago and his potential, Mac Jones is going to exceed that. The worst expectations for Mac Jones should exceed the best for Cam Newton last year, based on what we had seen from him in 2020. So there's not only certainty at quarterback, but the most important position on the roster is taken care of. There are ways to patch up corners. You know, plenty of the best defense in the league played zone. They have a great pass rush, um, really good coaching. And the Patriots need to work out what talent they have in the front seven. But those problems are easier to figure out than trying to patch one up at quarterback. And the Patriots don't have to do that. There is no question mark. There's no splitting reps. Mac Jones will be as good as he allows himself to be and the Patriots allow themselves to be. Because as much as we worry or are concerned or think this could go wrong with the offense and the system and who's calling plays and Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, blah, blah, blah. What Mac Jones does is exponentially more important than what either of those guys do on the sideline. It's going to be up to him in those two minute drills. He'll audible if he needs to. Like this offense is going to be built around him and the talent is better. I think we can all agree. John o. Smith bouncing back, Devontae Parker's here. Questions from the offensive line. Eh. But that's the power of the quarterback in the modern game. And I think that's, that's the answer. Ty goes to the quarterback. If it's better in 2022, which it is, 2022, that's your answer. All right. And that's it for me. Here we go. New format. I think it worked well. Uh, maybe that makes me a crazy person sitting alone in a room and talking for this long, but we appreciate the submissions for the mailbag. I'm going to try to go twice a week here in Pat's interference, um, you know, through the regular season, but also in training camp. So we'll have more updates. I like to space out these episodes because I just don't want to inundate you with all these small details and let, you know, let everyone kind of wonder whether the day that Taekwon Thornton has four catches is a bigger deal than Kendrick Bourne have four catches. Like, we need to let trends develop because the truth is in the trends and we need to find these. So I have some trends here again, rank one to seven. You can listen back, find them there. I'll tweet out this episode a few times next time. If you have any more questions, feel free to jump in. And also I haven't asked this in about a month or so, please rate, please review Apple, Spotify, wherever you can stitcher. We'd love the feedback because we're only trying to build and you know, grow. And there are more Patriots podcasts than ever, but we got a fun thing going on here. And whether it's hearing from Ted Johnson or Christian Fourier, Seth Wickersham is going to be on uh, next month. People around the beat, other people around the league. Like we've got more feedback coming from executives and other coaches coming down the pipeline. As soon as we know, we know things about football, but for now, we're just guessing. So until then, raise a glass and we'll see you next time.